Hey, this is Red Beach from Whitesnake, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. What's up, everybody? This is Dave Reffitt, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Ingvar J. Malmsteen, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Glenn Drover, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Al Petrari from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and you're with my buddy John over at Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 98, we had a chance to talk to two phenomenal guitarists. Uh, first up, we're going to talk to Glenn Drover. Uh, the name might ring a bell. He is the former guitarist of Eidolon, played a stint with King Diamond, and probably most notably, uh, played on the United Abominations and Live in Buenos Aires, as well as two of the Gigantor tours with Megadeth. So we're going to do a, a little chat with Glenn about a new album he has called Metal Illusion coming out, and then we're going to talk to one of the first inductees into the Iron City Rocks Music Hall of Fame from Fox Chapel, none other than Reb Beach. Now Reb was on the show uh, a while back, uh, prior to the release of Winger's Karma album, so we're going to talk about uh, what his thoughts are after the fact on Winger's album and also get you in the mood for the new White Snake record, which comes out at the end of March. So before we get into the uh, stuff with Reb, we're going to play a track from Glenn Drover's new solo album. The album is called Metal Illusion. It comes out on April 5th, and this is a song called Ground Zero. This is an, actually an alternate version, which you can find, I believe he said, would be on iTunes. This is not the version that will be on the album. So getting kind of a different take here. Again, from the album Metalusion coming out April 5th on Magna Carta Records. This is Ground Zero.
Gentlemen, with great pleasure, I welcome to the show Glenn Drover. How are you doing today, Glenn? I'm good, thank you. Great. Hey, we wanted to catch up with you. You've got a new record uh, on the way, Metal Illusion. Uh, talk Metal a Illusion, little, yeah. Metal Illusion. Talk about uh, the record itself, and, and maybe just take a little walk through your career, um, to especially to the people who never heard of you prior to Megadeth. Obviously, uh, that kind of thrust you into a worldwide spotlight. But um, can you give us a little bit about how you? Um, got started, obviously, your brother Sean 
a drummer. Did you have an extremely musical family, or, or what kind of got into the water there uh, when you guys were growing yeah, up? Yeah, pretty much. Actually, we, we did have uh, – my dad was the musician. Um, my oldest brother, Brian, I have another brother, um, played guitar and you know, for a number of years, and um, that's kind of where I started. Um, my brother Brian always had an acoustic line around. I was, you know, maybe eight or so, seven or eight. And, and I, you know, from a very young age, was very heavy into to music. And you know, I got into Kiss first and and just went from there, but always real heavy into into music and always wanting to listen to records and so forth. And um, and so I just started, started kind of just, you know, uh, messing around with his guitars, you know, banging it around. And, and then... Um, and then I asked him to show me a couple little things, and it just kind of went from there. I started with, at that point, just, you know, with a couple of little pieces and uh, to practice with and just, you know, and just uh, started to develop after that. Um, Sean started playing drums probably about a year after I started playing guitar, which was around, I was about nine. So um, he would have been about 12 at that point. Okay. And um, basically just, you know, we, uh, yeah, we just, we, we were surrounded by that, and, um and, and and Sean too. Same same with him. You know, we were both very, always very heavily into music, and grew up with the same kind of um, bands we liked and so forth. Were there any guitar players in particular that you found yourself kind of drawn to, specifically? Well, when I started playing guitar, got you know starting to get serious into it, maybe around ten or eleven when I got my, I think I got my first electric when I was ten. And, um, you know, I think the first guitar player that I really started to get into was Tony Iommi. Okay. Um, cause I got into Sabbath very early age. And, um, when I started getting serious into playing and learning how to, you know, to form bar chords and start to play little, you know, solo patterns, I used to put on a lot of the records and I used to learn all, you know, just learn all the, the, the different rhythms as much as I could. A lot of the solo patterns, try to, you know, to, to, uh, to figure out what he was doing in certain areas. You know, I, you know, I had friends in, in where we lived in the small town we lived and a couple guys, you know, they, they play guitar and we, you know, we trade little things that we learned and, you know, and that kind of thing and mm -hmm. to help the development of playing. And, um, but yeah, it was probably Tony only would be the first guy to, to really get, to get me going and, you know, and to really taking it to the next level and, 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 you know, being really serious about getting into, uh, you know, to put songs together and, and learn to, to develop solo playing and so forth. Sure. Yeah. Not a, not a bad uh, influence to have. Now you and your yeah. brother, you and your brother, Sean started a band. Am I pronouncing it correct? Eidolon? Eidolon. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're one of the few that I've actually ever <laughs> pronounced that stupid name right. Yeah. Well, and, I looked which at is why. <laughs> I never liked the name, you know, because nobody could pronounce it, but you got it right, so good stuff. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about what kind of music you guys, because you had quite a prolific recording career with that band. Yeah, we did a lot of albums. Um, first two albums were done independently, and then we did about five with Metal Blade, four, five, and um, and then we did one with, with this company called The Scappy in, in Sweden. I don't think they exist anymore. Mm -hmm. We just did a one-off album. Actually, we, we started it right before we joined Megadeth. So we ended up having to finish that last album, you know, in between tours when we first joined that band. Um, but the style, I mean, there, there was, um, we, it wasn't just one particular style of metal. It was, you know, there was some more fast stuff. There was more prog stuff here and there. Some songs were a bit more melodic, uh, you know. We tried to really, all we tried to do is basically try to uh, touch on the different, a lot of different styles of metal but at the same time, try to make sure that everything came together on an album and it was cohesive and it was, you know, it felt like it, it belonged. It, mm -hmm. it sounded like that. You know, when you, when you listen to it, it sounded like it all fit together. So there wasn't any specific style of metal, you know, even though we were, you know, categorized in certain, you know, a lot of people said we were a thrash metal band, which is kind of funny because we would do maybe one song like that on an album. Oh, yeah, yeah they're a thrash metal band. It's kind of humorous, but uh, we're, to tell you the truth, we're probably more prog than anything else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I had always kind of thought of it as power metal, but again, it's, it's labels. Yeah, there was that, too. We had those elements as well. So, you, you know, you put all those things, in, you know, and... And in a blender, and that's that was pretty much a lot of the albums that we you know that we spat out was just th that kind of thing, you know. Right. Now, how did so, you how did you come to play with King Diamond? Uh, briefly, what happened was uh, I did a demo tape, video, rather. Sorry, it was okay. it was a, well 
demo, which kind of was. I was basically playing along with some of the songs in a videotape, and I did a solo. Mm-hmm. So um, just um, so you'd be seeing me playing along with the record, so you could see me, you know, you can see and hear what I was doing along with the music. I did that like early '90s, early early '90s, and this was at one point when you know, because uh, Andy Andy LaRock has always been there, but they've always seemed to have issues with the guitar player on the other side of the stage. Right. So they've gone through many many players throughout the years, and Sean had mentioned, why don't you send him a video just for fun? Said, yeah, okay, so I did it. And sent it off, and I got in contact with Kim, and um, and we just started, you know, he was really cool right off the bat, and we remained friends for, for quite a few years, and, um, you know, because he'd mentioned that, he, you know, he'd seen the video and he liked it, and if there was ever an opportunity that came up, um, that he would, you know, surely consider it. Because um, I'd sent it again when, when you know they were in between guitar players. Once he received the tape, they just recruited somebody. But anyway, yeah. um, so we just you know kept in contact, and then I got a call one day, and it was like 1996 or seven or something like that, and and um, just kind of went from there. But I kept in contact with him, and he seen my style and believed that I I would fit in should there be a, an opportunity of a, a guitar player that they needed. And sure enough, it happened at uh, you know a good four mm-hmm. or five years down the road. Yeah, it's paid off for you. Was that um, how did that d- differ? You know, being there with King um, opposed to Eidolon, was that was it kind of different? Being that it, this wasn't your baby and you were kind of a, a you know playing in someone else's world, was that difficult? Yeah, but it was fun. It was equally as fun because even though it was, I mean, it wasn't like hard. It was, I mean, while it was, yeah, I mean, the, the music itself is is challenging, but I mean, in, in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know the all the live stuff was fun. I mean, we went to the studio to record the one album that I played on. Um, it was just a really, really cool, relaxed vibe, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would go in with you know my homework done, and and uh, we would just start developing. And I did a lot of you know like uh, Andy did all the the rhythms on that album, House of God, and I just did solo my solo parts. And I would bring in something after, you know, I would I'd get a demo version of, you know, the songs and I'd, with indication as to where my solo spots would be or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I would just go and work on it and come back and I'd say, yeah, it's cool or, or no, or why don't you try this? And, but, you know, it was just a, it was a fun thing. I, mm-hmm. I don't mind that. I've been in both, uh, you know, situations, obviously, being where I have control with, with, with whatever I want to do, mm-hmm. guitar-wise and other things. Yeah. And um, versus, you know, going in and somebody's, you know, you got the the producers there. And yeah. in this case, it would be two. There'd be two two producers. It would be Kim, and then they'd have the producer, and then same thing with Megadeth. It was Dave, and you know, and the producer. Mm. Yeah. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I like that, you know, the collaboration, doing and, and putting yeah. things together and developing. It's great. Now you you alluded to Megadeth uh, just briefly. How did Sean and and yourself end up on Dave's radar? Obviously, he was with Jimmy DeGrasso and Al Petrelli. How did you guys kind of take over for the other half of Megadeth? Well, as you know, the band, he had pulled the plug. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it was like 2001 or something like that. Yeah. Because he had arm problems. So mm-hmm. Megadeth was laid to rest. I believe what happened in 2004 was he recorded an album that he wanted to put under his name. Mm-hmm. But I think, the, and, and I'm not 100% sure, so if I'm wrong out there, sorry. But um, I think what happened was... Um, he was under contract to deliver another Megadeth album, or one more or something. So they put the album under the name Megadeth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was getting really good reviews. He decided to put the band back together. And I, I'm not sure, but I think initially um, he he was going to... Tr- I think he was trying to put the Rust and Peace lineup back together or something. Mm-hmm. And Nick Menza was the only one that came on board. And so he decided, okay, well, let's, let's get, you know, two new guys, and and, uh, and away we go. So what happened at that point was um, um, a buddy of ours from England who was a fan of the Idol and stuff. I mean, Sean were in contact. He actually, we met this guy at a, we played Valken one year, uh, you know, as Eidolon, mm-hmm. and um, met this guy, and you know, exchanged uh, contact info, and just you know. Just, you know, I stayed in contact with the guy. Anyways, he ended up recommending me to the webmaster at Megadeth.com, who was friends with Dave, of course, and um, said, hey, I think this guy might be a, a good fit. I think stylistically he felt that, you know, it might be a good idea. And uh, it's a contact. You know, I just got his email one morning and 
where you said that, uh, you know, I recommended you for this gig, you know, with the, the webmaster at the Minidet site. So I'm thinking, okay, it's, uh, okay, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> wait, it's like a Saturday morning or something, you know. And um, sure enough, within a couple of days, I was in contact with and it just went from there. I did some, you know, videotaping, playing a couple of songs, and one great team and another one, and um, sent him an Eidolon album and some live footage of myself and so forth. And, mm-hmm. You know, so he had all the different, you know, a bunch of different things to check me out through. And um just went from there very quickly, very quickly. Yeah. I was in the band within two weeks. One thing I've always wondered, were you prepared, do you think, um for the world that you were thrust in in Megadeth, not so much from a musician standpoint, but just the rigors of the touring and the media and the things that go with being a member of Megadeth? Was I ready for it? Um, I wasn't sure, to be honest with you, because I was in King Diamond for a few years prior to that and got out of it because I had... I just got married and I had a, a, a child on the way and I just really didn't want to be, you know, doing the going away on tour thing a lot. Um, I wasn't, it was, it was fun in King Diamond, but towards the end it was, okay, I had, an, I had enough of it without getting too personal. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was cool and I learned a lot from it. You know, it was my first professional tour and so forth, but, you know, for those reasons I, I, I opted to leave. Um, so when this opportunity came up, I had to think about it, but it was obviously a much greater opportunity and, uh, no disrespect to the previous band, but, you know, Megadeth is definitely a, a more popular band, to sure. say the least. Absolutely. So, um, I had to really consider it, and uh, it was exciting, you know, the idea of it. But uh, but I was a little torn for sure because of those reasons, you know, with the sure. family and so forth. But um, it didn't take too much convincing, you know, or, or or you know, thought to realize, hey, you know, this is something that I, I got to do. This this would be a lot of fun, and you know, and it's a band I grew up with, and it's very exciting. Yeah. So, um, and that was it. You know, I I think yeah. By the time I I, you know got myself ready, you know, physically and, and mentally and, and guitar-wise and got out there. It was Yeah, I was ready for that. I was ready for it because I was prepared in every way as well mm. um, by that point once we got into the rehearsals. And it was, um, I have a lot of really good memories of the, the first few, you know, the first couple of years. Yeah, and that had to be a, a blessing to have your brother right there behind you every night as well. I mean, that's got to be a comfort level. Yeah, well, that was a strange situation because Nick Menza was in the band. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at that point, okay. but only for the first week of rehearsals and wasn't working out. So David let him go and Sean was flown in the next morning, you know, so it was it was really strange how it all worked out. Yeah, you're thinking, I know this guy that could step in. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, actually, well, to go back even a little further on that, you know, he was actually originally considered as a, as a drum tech uh, for Nick because the guy that he had in wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And so he was let go, and then Nick was let go, and then, you know, and then he had, it's like, well, he knew that Sean, I played with him for forever, and yeah. he played on all the Eidolon albums, and uh, and I knew Sean would be able to do it no problem. Yeah. Because he's a great drummer, very reliable, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So he was brought in, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Now, you've, you've stepped in from time to time with Testament. Uh, did you kind of meet them through your time in Megadeth? Sure. I actually met some of them. I was, I think it was pretty much, uh, Eric. I met, um, while I was at King Diamond, you know, maybe once or twice. Okay. Um, just briefly, you know. But, mm-hmm. um, it was, yeah, and then we started, you know, when I was in Megadeth, you know, we've seen them at various festivals overseas that we played and, and so forth. And, um, yeah, just kind of, when that opportunity came up for, uh, because, was, you know, Alex couldn't commit to certain dates at one point. Yeah. Um, I think they'd asked Gary Holt. And Gary couldn't do it, or something like that. And he called, and he said, "You should, you know, try talk to Glenn, because we play, we tour with Exodus, so I know those guys. So Gary felt mm-hmm. that, it, you know, that might be a good combination. And uh, he gave me a call and said, "Hey, man, he's put your, your, you know, word in for you for uh, for Testament if you're interested in, you know, helping the guys out." And I said, "Well, I, you know, I've talked to him a few times, and you know, and and they seem like really cool guys. I didn't want to get into doing anything that was I'm going to be putting myself in any kind of situation." Where I'm working with people that are extremely difficult. I I came from that. I don't want to do that again. Right. I want to either have fun or fuck it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, that's good. You kind of keep your resume, though. You could you could be kind of the step in guy for let's call it the big six. You know, it seems like especially Slayer right now could use some stand-ins from time to time. So 
Uh-huh. Big six. That's actually, I, you know, that that's that's so true. I mean, that's what it should be because Exodus and Testament are definitely a part of that whole thing, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to draw the line. Even a band like Overkill, I mean, you can't understate their importance to that as well. Yeah, as well, but yeah, but I mean, especially in in my opinion, Exodus because you know they. Testament came out a little after that, as we know, but the Exodus were right there in the beginning, you know? Yeah. Um, but, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your new CD, Metallusion. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about what we can expect on the album? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an all-instrumental album. I'm playing with some amazing musicians, so I'm extremely happy about that. Not only that, but we gel very well together. Um, it was basically a project that was put together... Um, I had this idea to do a, a couple of cover songs mm-hmm. just to kind of feel out these particular musicians that I wanted to work with to see if we would, you know, if it would work musically and, you know, styles and all that. And we did a couple of covers that turned out great. And it went from there. Uh, the, the music is really, it's got, you know, a few different uh, types of styles. You have, um, there's metal in there. There's, there's you know, some, some prog rock stuff in there. Um, you know, there's there's definitely a, a strong uh, fusion influence in the recording as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, you put all these things together, and it's just that's what that's where the title of the album came from. Is that it's it's a combination of of those two worlds of metal and fusion. Okay. You know, it's so like you know you listen to like any old old Aldi Miola record. You know, it's not like traditional jazz. It's it's more like it's more technical. It's 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 pumped up. You know, it's more aggressive sounding and more hard rock, if you want to call it that. Sure. You know, like a cross between that and and jazz jazz fusion. So it's kind of the same. <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> as I'm losing my voice here. No problem. It's kind of a cross between that those two worlds, really. Yeah, you know, metal and and uh, and, and and fusion again and prog as well because Jim. Gilmore, the keyboard player, is from the band Saga, who are, mm-hmm. you know, a prog rock band. And so you have those prog, proggy kind of elements in there as well. And he's a fantastic songwriter mm-hmm. and brought some really cool ideas to the album. And, um, you know. Now, do you see, um, when when is the album going to be available? comes out on the 5th of April. Okay. And is that mm-hmm. going to be available, like, through your website or is there Amazon? It's, or? It's, no, it comes out through Magna Carta. Okay. Records, and um, it's it's going to be. I would imagine it, there's going to be a digipack version, uh, and then you know hard copy, and then there's going to be the digital downloads that will be available through iTunes and, and all those kind of um, you know things. And um, comes up in the fifth, like I said, but also too there's a single that's coming out. We did this kind of neat little thing where the record company asked me. Um, they had this idea to. Pick a song, and why don't you take one of the songs, and then we'll do, like, an alternate version of the same song and put it out as well, but with, like, different solos or different something, you know, mm-hmm. different arrangements, something. So uh, I picked the one, this one song called Ground Zero, which is the first track off the album, and I also did a, an alternate version of it with okay. um, a bunch of new solos from me and Jim, and the mix is slightly different, you know, and, and, and stuff like that, and it came out really, really cool. So um, it's basically just, you know, the, the one song, but two different versions of it, the album version and the alternate. And uh, I believe that comes out next week. Okay. Um, I just, I don't have the date yet. I've, I've yet to find that, that out, and I think I'm going to find out today from the record company. But again, yeah, it's Magna Carta, so it'll be available on Amazon and, and um, you know. Sure. It's easy to find albums on the Internet. Yeah, sure is. Um, now, do you plan on on taking this on the road, or what's next in in your world? Uh, we'd like to, but we don't know what's going to happen at this point. We're just, you know, the album is yet to come out, as you know, and mm. so I'm just more concentrating on the promotional side of things, and um, and then we'll uh, we're, we're going to talk about those possibilities. Um, I, I know that there is a market for doing certain things, certain uh, shows overseas and stuff like that, which I think would be really interesting. But right. um not really 100% sure what's happening okay. on, on, on that end. So. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. There's always, again, there's no shortage of places to find information on the Internet as well, so we'll keep an exactly. eye on Exactly. I mean, you know, it, we try to keep the, you know, the, the site update, up to date as much as possible, the Facebook page and, mm-hmm. and stuff, when there is news to tell, um, which I'm going to have a whole slew of things coming up. So, um, 
Yeah, it's just, you know, we just started to get the ball rolling really as far as getting the, you know, because the word out there about the album, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent. Because it's, you know, we were a month away or so from, from it being released, so we're just starting to pick up things now, so. Yeah. Well, that sounds, sounds great. All right, Glenn, well, yeah. I want to thank you for the time today, man. Yeah, and thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Glenn. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it, former Megadeth. King Diamond, Eidolon, guitarist, now putting out a solo album, Metalusion, that is Glenn Drover. I want to thank Glenn for taking the time out of his day to talk to us, and we wish him well with his uh, future endeavors. Now we're going to turn our attention to a uh, hometown Pittsburgh product. Uh, I'm sure most of you who have been in this area for any more than a couple days uh, know that Red Beach hails from Pittsburgh, uh, always has, and uh, a great source of pride, especially growing up in the 80s. We were all so stoked. Uh, to have a guy from our area make the big time. So we uh, wanted to give a chance to talk to him, to see what's going on with the new album. He just uh, kind of put to bed a uh, tour with Winger uh, and is going to be firing it right back up and going back out on the road with Whitesnake. So what we're going to do, we're going to play a song from the new Whitesnake album, Forevermore, which will be coming out on Frontier Records March 29th. This is a track called Love Will Set You Free, and then we're going to get to talk to uh, Reb. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show the Iron City Rocks Hall of Famer, Red Beach. How are you doing today, Red? I'm good. How are you, John? I am doing fantastic. Hey, we had a chance to talk to you back. Uh, it's been at least a year or so. Um, I wanted to congratulate you on uh, what I thought was a phenomenal record, the Karma record from Winger. Do you want to talk a little bit about how it met with your expectations in hindsight? Yeah, sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you liked it. Um, Pretty much everyone that heard that record just had something great to say about it. So it was uh, so, um, you know, it meant so much to me hearing back from the fans on that one because we really made that one for the fans. You know, Kip is, uh, he's a genius and he's hes my best friend. Um, but he's into this this classical stuff that is just way beyond anybody. Yeah. Um, it's really, really intense. He's writing ballets and he... he uh, scores for 76-piece orchestras, and he's in that world. And so we needed to make a record. And Kip just came to me and said, "What do you want to do? Because I'm in, you know, opera world, and uh, you know, like, what, what do you, what do you hear for this record?" And I said, "Let's just make a kick-ass '80s record, you know, just like the first record. Just come out, you know, with Motley Crue, you know, with you know, jumpstart my heart, you know." Kickstart my heart, whatever it is, and you know something, something like that. Just bang your head straight ahead, rock. You know, let's not try and get too fancy. You know, let's just jam out. And he said, "Great idea." So um, we wrote a song every day. We wrote the whole album in ten days. Wow. And I mean, because we really, you know, it was kind of um, Kip let me kind of took the reins off of me for this one, which you know, a lot of times on other records, he kind of gives me more instruction and tells me what he's hearing and um and you know it's more of his vision but this time it was sort of more my vision and um and we worked we always work really well together uh but um you know some there are some great moments on the record one in particular is um it's kind of the headed for a heartbreak of the album and it was the, the last song on on the on the record called witness mm-hmm. and at the end of it we wrote in like a long outro solo section, just like Headed for Heartbreak. And I knew that this had to be my Headed for Heartbreak. You know, it's a big solo on Headed for Heartbreak. And so this was the big solo for the record. And I plugged in, started to play over it, and it just sounded terrible. <laughs> it was, I was so nervous because I knew it had to be amazing. And um, I tried for an hour and nothing. I mean, I just couldn't come up with anything. So we went out. I said, I got to get out here. Let, let's just get out for a while. We went out, had a couple beers, came back. I plugged in and I did the whole solo. It's like two minutes and 46 seconds. Totally first take. Just completely, that's it. 
and you won't believe the celebration that went on after that. Yeah. Um, because Kip, you know, Kip, Kip just said, I remember Kip saying at the end of it, he just said, you did it! I was like, I did it! Oh my god, I did it! <laughs> See, so that's my, that's my shining moment on the record. So in hindsight, you just needed to lubricate a little to get the fingers, uh, ready to go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I needed to relax. Yeah. You know, and take it slow. And, uh, you can tell, you can tell it's first take when you listen to that solo, because it, it builds and it, it's not all punched in and, and pieced together. It, it's a real performance, so I'm very proud of that. Yeah, and one of the things I noticed with the album, I mean, just my own interpretation, is it, is it starts out, I don't want to say fun, but it's 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 a very good-feeling record to listen to. It's the kind you want to play loud, you want to, you know, maybe wind down the windows to, which, you know, to me, it's almost one, what I think one of the most fun albums of your catalog. Oh, it even, is. even I, more I, so than the first album, which, you know, was obviously the big hit with 17 and things like that. Yeah, it is. It is more so. You know what? It, it sounds better, too. It's not all... Um, Bowhill used to produce with um, Drum Machine. You know, he would... he would Rod would play, but then he'd add in fake drums afterwards, and they always sound like mm. crap to me. Um, so, you know, this is Kiff's production, and he's mm -hmm. a total genius. And uh, so the, the record sounds really good, you know. And, and, and the first... Uh, Definitely the first four songs are really good songs, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, it, I, I'm very proud of Karma, and it's too bad that, that people, and it's, it's like Pull. You know, Pull was a work of art. And that that yeah. was, the, the budget on that was $300,000, and Mike Shipley producing, who did, you know, he engineered Back in Black, and, you know, it's, it was a huge budget. And, um, you know, and I hear all the time musicians come up to me and just say, man, pull was a work of art, man. And the thing is, is that no one really heard it. You know, yeah. it's, it's just that's kind of how it goes in this business now. And, um, you know, Winger's name in America, you know, only the musicians really know, you know, how cool Winger is. You yeah. know, people think of Winger and they think of, you know, dancing around with a bass guitar and, you know, smiles, you know, a bunch yeah. of looking studio musicians. Um, and uh, that's, that wasn't the case, and Winger is a great band, and I, I always look forward to playing with those guys. We still do shows here and there. Yeah, no, that it is certainly, and I, I had a chance to see you guys a few times now over the years, and it is always a great show, and, and the musicianship is, is first rate with yourself and Rod and obviously Kip. Um, speaking of other jobs and, and playing live, you are going to be going on the road with White Snake now. They've got a new album coming out. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what your role in the, in the live lineup is with White Snake? Sure. Um, um, I am kind of the Steve Vai of the band. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have kind of a certain thing I do when I play guitar, a certain style, mm -hmm. and uh, it, there's a lot of legato playing uh, very similar to Steve Vai's. So I can take his parts that he had, and um, and also I'm a blues player, so I think is primarily just a rock blues band. And uh, you know, Doug and I trade solos, but Doug, is, the other guitar player, is um, you know he's perfect for all that stuff, um, the original stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I can't think of, who's the, the Blue Murder guy. John Sykes. Uh, Sykes. John Sykes. Sykes. Yeah. yeah, sorry. He does all the Sykes stuff. I can't do that stuff. I don't pick every note. My style is not like that at all. Mm -hmm. um, so he's perfect for all that Sykes stuff. Uh, and he plays a Les Paul, and he sounds like him, and he can do all those riffs. So that's his thing. And, um, you know, we, we just, uh, just did a new record. And so uh, we'll be playing some songs from that live, so I have to learn that stuff. And I did play on the record. I flew out to Lake Tahoe and did like four four songs. Uh, just you know, plugged in and did some solos. Uh, but you know what I did more than I've ever done before. David heard my voice. I guess for the first time. I've been in the band for eight years, and, mm. and the primary the primary background vocalist, uh, you know. And um, and so I guess David got to hear me one on one, and he loved my voice. He said, "I love it. I love it. It's rebellious. Why didn't you tell me you could sing such such beauty?" So um, uh, he used me on every song, and if you listen to the new record, they really put me up in the mix. It's like it's such a great honor to be um, recorded with David Coverdale. You know, like wow, that's me singing with David Coverdale. How cool is that? Yeah, that's got to be uh, kind of be kind of cool. When you played live, you you were kind of the the main alternate voice for the track Burn, weren't you? Like when um, you get... 
You mean singing? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it was me. Me and Timothy did all the backgrounds. You know, and they 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 pump a bunch of reverb and stuff on us, so it sounds bigger than just two guys. A lot of people thought that it was on tape. You know, which mm-hmm. nothing could be farther from the truth. It was. It's just a bunch of you know reverb and stuff on me and Timothy. Um, Timothy's not in the band. He left to uh, to. He's playing with not Glenn Fry, but one of the guys in the Eagles, Don Felder. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure if he's going to be back or not for the tour. But they got a couple of new guys in there, uh, some new blood, and, and uh, they're fantastic. The, the two, Brian Tishy, he played with Billy Idol, and um, okay. they're a team. And Michael Devin, the bass player, they've been playing together for years, and you can really tell. You know, a lot of the times when we put a new band together, you'll get the rhythm section, and they're just not used to playing with each other. So yeah. you've got to play a couple weeks of shows until they tighten up. Well, these guys just had it down pat. I mean, they're they're like a machine. So um, so that's exciting. It's going to be a really good band. And uh, they all sing as well. So so the vocals should be better. Yeah. But we're touring the world. You know, it's, it's a, I'm going around the world again, starting in Moscow, believe wow. it or not. And um, we go all through the UK and then um, Scandinavia, Japan, China, South America, and we're going to play in the States as well. So I'm going to be doing some traveling, but i got to hit the gym because I've been sitting around writing a record in my in my garage here in Pittsburgh, in Oakmont I live, um, you know, just growing a beard and <laughs> trying to create something. <laughs> I want to have it done uh, by the time Whitesnake goes out in May. Okay. So, are you? Is this the the awaited in, uh, uh, mas- masquerade too? Yeah, you know, kind of follow you know, up. The I, masquerade. I have a bunch of stuff in the can already for that, but mm-hmm. I mean that record took me like five years. Mm-hmm. I am not good on my. I mean, I'm good on my own, but I just I don't get it done in time. It takes me too long. I. I labor over this stuff and change it a hundred times before I come up with something that I can live with. And I just knew it would be too hard uh, writing lyrics and doing all that by myself. So, um, and I only have a couple months here. I've been doing a bunch of um, touring on my own. I actually did just got back from Italy. I did a clinic tour of Italy, oh, cool. uh, which was wonderful. So, uh, so I decided to do an instrumental record, which is oh, a cool. lot easier. And, you know, the guitar, the fans of, of, you know, my guitar playing will have something, you know. I sell a lot of this thing called my Fusion CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a demo that I made after Winger. And nothing ever became of it um, because right after Winger, everyone wanted my music to sound like Winger. Yeah. And I wanted to go into jazz fusion world, so I hung it up. But I started selling the demos on my website, and they just went like hotcakes, and everyone loves it. So... I think just for right now, uh, with this amount of time that I have, the easiest thing to do is to do an instrumental record here at home, and then uh, I'll go in with, with Throck and Tommy, the local guys who I always use, and they're the best in town and, and that I've ever seen. Um, Dave Throckmorton and Tommy Bellin, they play in all kinds of bands in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll, I'll go in with them and, and record this, hopefully before May. Excellent. So we can look forward to that. I Actually, I would really kind of salivating at the idea of an instrumental record. I've always been a, you know, I love those guitar albums. I think going back to, like, the shrapnel days, you know, that's that's good stuff. So Well, I'm going, it's not going to be, you know, shrapnel-esque. It's not going to be, like, you know, you know, heavy, stuff like that. It's more like me jamming over Steely Dan, you know. Oh, okay. I'm giving a kind of a classy edge to it, you know. So we won't have a... No sweeping arpeggios for 46 minutes, then. You're right, yeah, yeah. There'll be, like, one sweeping arpeggio in, in yeah. per song. Yeah, that would <laughs> got to keep it uh, tastefully applied. Oh, that's yeah, but awesome. I'll rail on it, too, though, you know. Yeah. So the, the, the uh, White Snake is going to be doing most of North America, or is, is kind of what they have announced now kind of it? I know they I can't think of the last time White Snake has touched the Pittsburgh market. Well, um... I went down. How does this work? I went down to a place called Stage AE. Mm-hmm. It's a brand new place, just opened in December uh, on the north side, across from Heinz Field, and it's absolutely stunning. It's just a beautiful club, and everything's brand new. It's got a, 
you know, killer sound system, and, and uh, it's really, really nice. Um, I went down there and had a meeting with them to possibly do a show with the Red Beach Project, mm-hmm. Tommy and Throck. Um, and so now I'm waiting to hear from Tommy and Throck to see if they can do it because they have to find subs for their other gigs, so it's a little complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if, if that also gave me the idea to put Whitesnake in touch with Stage AE. So I did, and uh, they're talking now to do a possible Pittsburgh show. So oh, we'll excellent. Yeah, if it's, it's, it's right on. We're doing some East Coast dates in May mm-hmm. before the Moscow show. Okay. Yeah, I thought that place was, I haven't been there myself yet, but I thought it was sort of convertible. They had a club AE, and then they could open it up to be an indoor-outdoor That's correct. type venue. So. Yeah, it, it, it's like a it's like an amphitheater. You know, you just open up the back door of the stage, you know, the yeah. the actual behind of the stage, and uh, all of a sudden you're outdoors, and there's all these um, seats and stuff. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that was supposed to open, if I'm not mistaken, last summer, and things got backed up, as things tend to do. And we're now starting to see a flood of shows into that, which is good because you know it helps Pittsburgh. It's better than yeah, and it's, and it's better than driving all the way out to you know wherever that is. Yeah, ice, not the icy light. Um, what's that place called? Um, I think Post Gazette Pavilion. Post Gazette. Yeah. yeah, I can never think of the name anymore because they keep changing the name. Yeah, yeah. The icy light uh, actually is now. Called uh, the Trib Total Media Amphitheater over Station Square, which is a, is a great venue as well. But I played there with Alice Cooper with a full moon right behind us. I got a great shot of me, uh, you know, with a with a full moon and Alice, you know, with his arm around me. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. great. And uh, I'll never forget that show because it was a beautiful night, and he introduced me in such a wonderful way. Um, so that was great. Was that on the same night as Darkin? Was Darkin on that bill? I just don't yeah. remember. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to remember if I was there for that one as well. But yeah, I mean, I I know you had a, a great run with Alice Cooper as well, which is a is really cool. You've had the the blessing to be able to step on stage with some real legends. Oh, I've been yeah. lucky for sure. Yeah, so I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, please let us know uh, if you get that uh, the instrumental album uh, released, and also if you're going to be doing a show over there, we'll help you get the word out on that. Oh, that'd be great. I appreciate it. Okay. All right, Rebel. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to keep you any longer than necessary. So, but I want to thank you for your time, man. My pleasure, John. Anytime. Okay. We'll talk down the road. Take okay. Care. Great. Thanks a lot.
from the album Karma from Winger. That was Deal with the Devil. I want to thank Reb Beach again for coming on the show and uh, wish him well on the uh, forthcoming Forever More tour with Whitesnake. I want to thank you for joining us as well. You can find more information about us at www.ironcityrocks.com. You can find, uh, I think, one of the most complete concert calendars in the Pittsburgh area. We've got video, podcasts, uh, links to all the bands that have been on the show. Also, we've got a couple weeks left and a pair of tickets we're giving away to see guitar legend Jeff Beck at the uh, Carnegie Music Hall of Oakland. So uh, that uh, deadline for entry is April 1st. That show is in late April. I don't have the date off the top of my head, but again, two tickets to see Jeff Beck. So how can you go wrong? So you want to get there and enter that. You can follow us on Facebook at Iron City Rocks. Uh, I'm sorry, Facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. Twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. And if uh, you're still hanging on to the belief that MySpace is relevant, it's Iron City Rock with no S. So find information on all the sites about us. So thank you again for joining us. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>